Okay, let's take our Bibles out, turn to the book of James. Let's go ahead and begin reading in James chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. He says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. You know, I remember years ago when we were raising our five little kids, we were in a conversation with another couple from church and Lisa talked about this one little boy that she'd experienced at church and she said, that little boy is the most adorable little boy. But I was just in the nursery with him. She says, holy cow, is that kid a handful? And the lady's response caught our attention. The lady's response was, she says, yeah, I never decide if a kid's adorable or not until I see how they behave. Uh, well, good, good point. You know, it kind of reminds me of another conversation that we'd have about 20 years later or so. We were walking down a sidewalk at Roseville Mall and we're with our son Zach and his fiance at the time and we were discussing a TV show, Downton Abbey. There's this character on there named Rose and she comes into their family to live with them when she's about her teenage years and she is a handful. And so Lisa and I, watching it from kind of our perspective and our age at the time, we don't think real highly of Rose. She's always running off to do something sneaky, get in trouble in one way or another, and so we're not too big of fans of Rose at the moment. But uh, Zach's fiance, Emma, something comes up about Rose in the conversation, and she says, Oh, but she's beautiful. And our response was, Pretty is as pretty does. Is beauty that's something that's limited to outward appearance, or is beauty something that's deeper than that? Something that's much more rich. And you see, that's what. It, James is doing with the wisdom here. He's looking at wisdom and he's kind of answering the question, what is wisdom? Because he's going to list two different kinds of wisdom that are out there. He says there's a heavenly wisdom and there's a earthly wisdom. Where's the real wisdom? What is the true wisdom? Who is wise and understanding among you? Who possesses the wisdom, the understanding as we consider this idea of heavenly versus earthly wisdom. And so what he does is he, he puts it through a test. He says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. And so he starts off with the question, who is wise and understanding among you? Notice his next statement, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. And so he's kind of testing the wisdom. Is, is this wisdom or is this wisdom? Is everything that's touted wisdom in the world, is that the kind of wisdom we should be pursuing? Or, or is it something deeper than that? Wisdom is not just an accumulation of knowledge or facts. Wisdom it comes out with a practical outcome, a good outcome. In fact, a, a moral outcome. Because he says, "...who is wise and understanding among you, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom." By their good conduct. In other words, if somebody seems to be incredibly smart, but they have bad behavior, if their conduct doesn't promote a good lifestyle, if it doesn't promote sound living principles, then their ideas are not necessarily sound either. 
How many times have you heard about a kid that's struggling in school and the excuse comes out, but they're just too smart. They're too smart and so they're getting bored with the information that's there because they're catching on to it too quickly. So they're bored and so they, they don't have anything to do. I remember somebody told me that one time. The kid was a, a disruption in class or getting in trouble in school because they're just too smart. And I said, they're too smart to know how to behave? But at the same time, there is a little bit of a sense, isn't there? Because you see... Here's where the rub comes in, I think. Intelligence is one thing, wisdom is another. And I think you do can, you can have a child that is a disruption and has a hard time in school because they, and it might be at times because they are catching things quickly and so they, they are bored. But what are they lacking? They're not lacking intelligence. They're lacking the wisdom to know how to control themselves and how to control their behaviors and how to act in public. And the Bible tells us that foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but then the rod of correction drives it far from them. In other words, they need to be trained out of that foolishness. We're all foolish as we're children. We learn how to control ourselves. We learn how to do the right things instead of the wrong things. We learn how to make value judgments and good decisions. Knowledge is an accumulation of facts. Wisdom is knowing how to take those facts and use them in life in a right way. Right? Wisdom is the proper application of knowledge. And that's why you can be an incredibly smart person and make stupid decisions. Because smarts isn't your problem. Wisdom is your problem. Knowing how to take those smarts, take the information that you all have stuck in your head, and make that practical in life and flesh itself out in a good and a godly way, that's wisdom. And so what he does right at the beginning here, he puts them through a test. Who is wise and understanding? Who would that be? And then he goes on to say, well, you know who it's going to be? It's going to be the person who is behaving rightly, who is accomplishing good works, who has a solid life. There's going to be some wisdom and understanding found in that person. The opposite of that is you get off into evil in every, what do they call it, vile practice. That's not where wisdom is found. But in verse 14, he then makes this statement. He says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, those are your motivating factors. He says, do not boast and be false to the truth. Don't confuse that. Don't think you're wise if that kind of selfishness and stuff is seen within you. He's saying that is not the true wisdom. It's the same kind of thing that he's done on a few other times in the book of James up to this point where he's given them this test. In James 1.16, he tells them this. He says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Now that's sandwiched right between two truths. One truth was about them facing temptation. And he said, look, some of you think your temptations are coming from God and it's not that big deal if you fall to them. He says, that is absolutely not the case. You're really tempted when your own sinful desires kick in. That's what happens there. And the next statement after it is that every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from God. In between those two, he says, don't be deceived in this. He's saying, don't be deceived. The good things come from God. The other struggles come from within you. James 1.22, he again warns them, be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You can deceive yourself. Just like he's saying in chapter 3, don't be false to the truth. Don't, don't kid yourself. He's saying, look, if you think that you're blessed by hearing the Word, but you don't put the Word in practice in your life, you're kidding yourself. That's not a good religion before God. In fact, that's the very next way that he puts it. In verse 26, he says, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. James chapter 3, he's doing the same thing with wisdom. And he's saying, look, what's wisdom? 
Wisdom is going to have a measure of morality. Wisdom is going to have a measure of goodness. It's going to produce good deeds and sound character within your life. This is the wisdom that we're called to. This is the wisdom that we have all violated at times within our life. But this is the wisdom that we're called to pursue in our life as we look to ground our faith, ground our life in Jesus Christ. Well, as we look through this passage, there are three traits that stand out of this heavenly wisdom. And the first one, we've already definitely brushed on it with the nature of wisdom, is good conduct. The first thing he points out about this heavenly wisdom is that it will contain and promote good conduct. James chapter 3, verse 13 says, Who is wise and understanding among you by his good conduct? Let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Notice it says, let him show Show it in His works. It's kind of like what we dealt with back with faith. Remember in chapter 2 with faith? Faith without works is dead. That's not the faith that we're talking about. That's what He's doing with wisdom. Wisdom without goodness, without those works, without that moral fabric, is not wisdom. Not the wisdom from above. Not the wisdom from God. It's an earthly wisdom. In fact, the comparison that He makes with it in verse 16, is for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. And so, wisdom is always going to shun that which is evil, and wisdom is always going to promote that which is good. We have a pretty amazing object lesson within our country, even raging at this moment. It was nice to see that Roe versus Wade finally got overturned. And actually, uh, it didn't go all the way to what we wanted to. See, for 50 years, Roe versus Wade did exactly what some of the dissenting judges pointed out at the time that it was written. They found within the Constitution a right that the people that wrote the Constitution were not aware of. They tried to make it look like there was a right to abortion found within the Constitution, which is absurd. All the Supreme Court did recently is recognize that there was never a right within the Constitution for abortion. It's not constitutional. They actually didn't rule on whether or not you should or should not have abortion. It's just that the Constitution does not support it. And so what it does is it pushes it back to the states to make all the decisions. Legislatures make laws. Courts only decide, is it in line with the Constitution? You look at this situation, this issue before our country. Where is heavenly wisdom with this issue? What is the truth? As I'm pursuing the issue of wisdom and dealing with this situation, I thought, well, what are their arguments My argument is simple. That baby inside the womb from the moment it's conceived, we absolutely know two things about that. That that is a life and that it is a human life. Everything is already present there. Nothing else is going to be added. Everything is present. It just needs time to develop. What a child needs at the age of two is the same thing that that baby in the womb needs. They just need time. They need nourishment. They need oxygen. And they'll develop healthily. And naturally. And so, my whole argument is, or my understanding is, then if that is a human life and it's not your life, then you don't have a right to take it from somebody else. When I was pursuing the protest this week a little bit, I thought, what in the world are they protesting? What are they screaming about? What are they saying? A lot of it's the same old thing. And so, the wisdom of, which I would say is this earthly, unspiritual, even demonic, when you watch some of the protesters, you've got to think there's some kind of influence there somewhere. Um, a lot of it's the same old thing. My, my body, my choice. But see, that doesn't 
that doesn't really answer our argument. Because our argument is it's not your body. That little body that's inside of you has a different genetic makeup than you. They have different DNA than you do. They got some of it from you, but not all of it. But they have a different genetic code than you. Often they have a different blood type than the mother has, and very often a different gender than the mother is. So how can you say that that's part of your body? In fact, when they say my body, my choice, I like, I was listening to, uh, I think it was Ben Shapiro one time, he says, I don't care what you do with your body, do whatever you want with your kidney, or your liver, or, and he just started mentioning, listing off body parts, and I thought that was a good point. Because the whole point is, that little baby inside of you actually is not a part of the mother's body. It's within the mother's body, but a very important relationship, but it's not part of their body. So that doesn't really seem to contain much wisdom to me. Also, protect safe legal abortion. In what measure is abortion safe? You know how often abortion results in death? 100% of the time. It always kills one person in that situation. But sometimes it has cost the mother life as well. Even health itself. I remember reading in the last year or so I came across, and you know in Ireland, in Ireland, uh, an infant in the womb is constitutionally protected. And in the UK, it is not. It's pretty much almost abortion on demand. Do you know which country has the greatest level of women's health? Ireland, by a long shot. Abortion is not safe. It is completely destructive to the infant, and it is also destructive to the mother in a number of different ways. This one, abortions are basic health care. If that's the case, then 60 million people have died over the last 50, 50 years because of basic health care. If that's basic health care, basic health care has to be the number one killer in our nation. Abortion saves lives. Well, we've already kind of discussed that. There is no way that abortion saves lives. The whole purpose of abortion is to end life. Religion does not belong in health care. If you get sick with something serious up here, we're going to cart you out of the area, put you in an ambulance, take you down to Duluth. And where are you going to go? You're going to go to St. Mary's, St. Luke's. <laughs> you know, if you're in any major city in the, in the world and you get sick, you're going to go to St. Somebody to go try to help you out of that. And you want to know why? Because the religion is what started our health care. Christianity is the foundation for health care when you look across the world. You know where, you know where health care really got a boost and really got going? Is in Western civilization. What was the prevailing philosophy of Western civilization? It was Christianity. Why? Because within Christianity, what do you see? Everybody around you is a person who is made in the image of God. Which means everybody around you is somebody that deserves respect and recognition. Everybody that's around you deserves to be treated well and be protected. That's exactly why we're against abortion. We want them protected. And that's exactly why we're for the women that are even wanting abortion because we don't want that for them because we want to protect them from all the evils that they'll bring into their life and the destruction of their baby. When they say religion has no place in health care, religion is the place that health care got started. That's why we have health care. And that's why our hospitals are named after saints or, or the Presbyterian hospitals or Methodist hospitals or Baptist hospitals, depending on what part of the country you're in and which, which denomination kind of has a foothold in those different areas. But our hospitals are named over things like that because that's exactly what started it. Now this one I thought was ironic also. My uterus, if my uterus shot bullets, it would be less regulated. You don't have to get a background check to have a uterus. You do to have a gun. It has always been illegal to kill somebody with a gun. 
That's the whole point. It has not been illegal to kill someone that's in your uterus. It's, a, it's astounding to me. And part of me is actually almost kind of thankful for it. Because you know what? At least, at least the other side is being more honest now. Because for years we've been arguing about whether that was a little baby in there or a piece of tissue. And everybody knew it wasn't a tissue. But being it, letting it be a tissue made it more palatable. At least now... Now when you watch them, you watch these people in these demonstrations, these protesters, they're waving dolls around, yelling, kill the baby, and that kind of stuff. It's sick, and it's, it's, just, it's, a, it's a fringe group of that that's doing that, for sure. But at least they're acknowledging that now we're killing the babies, and they're recognizing that it is a baby. They're not hiding behind, oh, it's just a tissue. It's nothing yet. I was astounded to listen to Elizabeth Warren bemoaning the fact that in her state, crisis pregnancy centers outnumber the abortion clinics Three to one. And she's saying, you know what we got to do? We got to get rid of these crisis pregnancy centers. Really? What was her whole line of reasoning? Reasoning? Because they don't offer abortions. All the other things, all the other information that they're giving women and the help and the ultrasounds, all the things that they're doing for women and all the counseling and all the help, parenting tips and all kinds of things that they're doing for women, those people got to get out of the way. Why? Because they're not selling the abortions that Planned Parenthood is. My actual goal in bringing this up is not to make this whole thing a sermon about abortion. That's not the point. The point is in the book of James, it's talking about wisdom and saying, what is wisdom? If it's truly wisdom, it's going to be seen in good conduct. It's going to be seen in moral qualities. You cannot be somebody that's considered wise and be standing up for killing infants, for dismembering people within the womb. There's been an amazing amount of celebrities that come forward and say, oh, my abortion was the best thing I ever did. Really? Best thing? That's, uh, if you're going to pick one best thing that you did in your whole life, that's it? Best thing? That was a good thing? Dismembering your own child? A lot of them, from what I understand, aren't even telling the truth. A lot of them were miscarriages that they had DNCs to clean it up. It's not even abortion, and they're claiming it as an abortion to, to go that route. But you see, that's the point, is that, that wisdom has a moral quality to it. Now, let's not just leave it limited to the abortion argument. And I'm not going to bring up another example for sake of time, but the point is this. Anytime that you're contemplating a decision and there's a decidedly immoral part that weighs in, that is not where wisdom is. Okay, wisdom is always in good conduct. Wisdom is always in good behavior. Wisdom is always found in doing the right thing, not the wrong thing. So you're not means it's probably not usually going to go with the loud crowd. It's going to be going a little different direction. Well, not only is it about good conduct, it's also about a good attitude. Because he says wisdom is found in what? The meekness. He says the meekness of wisdom. Now, meekness is, is a lot of these things come right from the Beatitudes that Christ taught back in Matthew chapter 5. The meek shall inherit the earth. Meekness is not a weakness. Actually, meekness is strength under control. Usually they compare it to horses. Look at all the power that's in a wild horse. But it's not really usable until you bring it under control. You train it. You tame it. Now you have a lot of power that is very useful. That's what meekness is. Meekness is a strength that is under control. And he says that's what our attitude should be. Now, what is it in in contrast with? In verse 13, he says, "...who is wise and understanding among you by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom." But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition 
in your hearts. Do not boast and be false about the truth. Meekness is I'm strong. I have strength, but it's under control. I don't feel the need to lash out at you or whatever the case may be. I'm in control. The opposite of that is bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. I'm going to get my way and I'm going to run over you if I have to to get that. So if we find ourselves having a bad attitude, just dealing with people. You know what? The other, the other day I stopped at Menards in the parking lot out there because I had to run in and get something for a job. And when I get out of my truck, there's an older guy standing there in front of his truck looking a little bit bewildered, a little confused, and a rubber tire sitting there against it. And I'm thinking, I'm kind of in a hurry. Got to get back to my job. But um, this guy looks like he could use a hand. And I thought, what are you going to do? There's a little wrestling match for just a second. And then I looked over to him and I said, is something I can help you with? You need, you need that in the back of your truck? You want me to throw that in the back of your truck for you? He, he looks, he says, I, I, I don't know what to do. He said, uh, it's not mine. It's not mine. He says, I just came out from Menards and it's leaned up against the front of my truck and I'd like to go. Uh, but he wasn't sure where to put it. He didn't want to lean against somebody else's car, you know, just a nice guy. So I just reached down and grabbed the tire and threw it in the cart thing underneath the thing. I said, he's like, oh, all right. And, and, and I'm, I'm already turned and I'm headed into, headed into Menards and I get into Menards and I, and I thought, you know, I still was wrestling a little bit because then I'm thinking, you know, I, I solved this problem for him, but I, did I just kind of abruptly solve it and then get on my way? Or did I actually kind of take a moment for, you know, and to be honest, I don't know. I don't know how he had perceived that because I thought, you know what, I don't want to just harshly deal with something and then off and go and my back turned toward him, heading back into the store while he's left standing there going, well, thanks, I guess, or, you know, it's even the little things. We need to check what is, what is our attitude towards other people, even when we're confronted with people. What if you're confronted with all of them people that wants to put a sign up in your face about the, an issue like that? You know, I went to an abortion rally once uh, years ago out in Seattle at a hospital there. And we all met before at a church and bust us to it. And we discussed what we we're going to do there. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to go and we're going to get on the sidewalk and we're just going to kind of march back and forth on the sidewalk out on the corner because this hospital performed abortions, among other things. We're not going to cross any places where cars come in. We're not going to block any traffic. We're not going to do anything rude. We're just going to make our presence and our voice known. And you know what we did? We didn't block any exits. We treated everybody that came up to say anything. We treated them with gentleness and respect. And there were people that came up with signs and they'd hold them right up at your face as you walked by. Or they would yell things in your ear at the top of their lungs as you walked by. And it was a little bit disappointing that there were hundreds of you and there were about a dozen of them. But when you saw it on the news that night, the camera angle was showed so it looked like there was a whole bunch of them. But you know what? Even if they're like that, we're supposed to be... How does it say in this passage? Peaceable. We were meek. We didn't feel weak. We were strong in our opinion. We weren't backing down off of our position. But we were in control. We weren't going to lose it because they were yelling in your face. That's We've got to watch our attitude. Even when we're confronted by people that are hostile towards us, we need to still have a good attitude toward them. We still need to be meek. Lastly, character. It's shown in good character. This is, this is who you are. You know, a lot of times people, we tend, to, we tend to focus on our reputation, right? That's how other people perceive us. I remember I read, reading a quote from somebody once years ago, back when I was in college. It said this. It said, guard your character and your reputation will take care of itself. What is your character? Your character is who you are on the inside. You foster that. But focus not on your reputation, your outward appearance. That's what the religious leaders of Jesus' day did. And they were hypocrites. 
Because what they showed people that they were, the image that they wanted to have, was not what they really were on the inside. James is saying, look, what you really are on the inside is where it matters most. That will flesh its way out. And that's the whole point of this, is that heavenly wisdom has good character. Well, in the last two verses he says this, but the wisdom from above is first pure. It's first pure. Pure means uncontaminated, unmixed. Out in the parking lot of the church here, we have these little like manhole covers, just really little ones though. A few years ago, you know, with the, with the contamination that got in the groundwater and things around town from the old laundromat, from what I understand, years before I got here, they're worried about contamination. For years, they've been coming up and testing the area. I used to wonder, because they're always testing our water in different areas around town. And these guys out here in their little white trucks and stuff, and I came up to a guy one time and I said, alright, tell me what you're finding. And he said some technical jargon that I don't know what it means. I said, let me put this another way. When you come up here to work, do you drink our water? <laughs> and he's like, well, I don't really drink that much water. I said, okay, would you drink our water? <laughs> Should I be buying bottles of water? Is out of the tap okay? <laughs> you know? And he's he like, oh, he says, it's alright. He says, it's okay. I would drink, I would drink the water here. But, you know, that's the whole point. How much contamination's in there? Well, let me get right to the bottom of it. Would you drink it? The wisdom from above is pure. It's uncontaminated. And he also says it's first of all. Notice, first of all, that's the starting point. There's a purity to it. Then, peaceable. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the peacemakers. The fact of the matter is, when we see things as uh, earthly wisdom that's, that's unspiritual and even devilish propping up around our nation and people getting loud and arguing, you know what this world needs is not for us to jump right back up in their face. It needs us to address the issue, address the topic, but do it in a way that's peaceable, that tries to make peace within a nation. Not, not sacrificing the virtues of it, but at the same time not berating and belittling the people as we do it as well. So peaceable, gentle, it's kind of along that same line. Open to reason. We do need to listen. We need to be we need to be ready to listen. A lot of times in those heated discussions and stuff like that, people aren't listening to one another. They're just trying to formulate their next argument. You gotta listen and be reasonable. Full of mercy. And mercy is what? The fact that God doesn't give us what we deserve, right? Grace is giving us something good that we don't deserve. Mercy is not giving us something bad that we do deserve. And that's the same thing. You know, when you're dealing with people, you're going to deal with people that sometimes, frankly, they deserve what they get. But that don't mean it's your place to give it to them. We need to be like God. We need to be merciful in those kinds of things. We're not, we're not, we're not in this world to try to make sure that, that everybody gets what they deserve. I'm glad I don't get what I deserve because if I get what I deserve, I'm going to spend an eternity in hell instead of up in the splendors of heaven. And I don't want that. And I don't want that for anybody else either. And then also it lists right down toward the end, good, good fruits, obviously just more of that good conduct, good fruits, fruit of the Spirit lists a lot of things, love, joy, peace, gentleness, a lot of the same things that we're talking about. So somewhat, somewhat of a repetition. Impartial. In chapter 2, he'd spent a good part of chapter 2 talking about how we need to not show favoritism. We need to treat everybody well, not just the people that are on our side or holding our stance. And then lastly, he says, and sincere. In other words, as we're being all these things to people, as we're being trying to be gentle and merciful and everything, we need to make sure that it's genuine. That we are really fostering a care and a concern within ourselves for these other people. Otherwise, it's just an act. 
He's not calling us to act merciful. He's calling us to be merciful. He's not calling us to act righteous. He's calling us to be righteous. We're not supposed to act loving. We're supposed to be loving. It needs to be the very core of who we are, of all the things that Jesus rebuked. The thing that He rebuked the most often and the loudest was the hypocrisy. And He says we need to not have any of that hypocrisy. We need to be sincere. I think the point is, when we're looking at any issue, and there's two sides of wisdom waving in, a heavenly wisdom on one side and that earthly, unspiritual wisdom on the other side, we're not just trying to win the argument. We're trying to win the person. We need to have that sincere desire for the people that we even argue against. And so as we consider it here this morning, where's wisdom? Well, we want to consistently land in heavenly wisdom. To help us to that end, he points out if it's heavenly wisdom, it's going to have good conduct. But that good conduct isn't enough. It also needs to be done with a good attitude. And it needs to be done with a good character that we are striving to be the people that God wants us to be.